Hello and welcome to Campus Beat. I'm Dinah Jansen. In this program, we cover news, issues, initiatives, services, and events at Queen's University for the benefit of Queen's students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Welcome and enjoy. In this special edition of Campus Beat, CFRC student staff and volunteers reached out to all student and community groups seeking fees in the upcoming AMS and SJPS elections. Thank you to CFRC Campus News Liaison Erica Singh, CFRC Marketing Assistant Shay Colon, History Department Intern Daniel Draper, and volunteer Chloe Weinstein for their work reaching out to student clubs, interviewing them, and recording statements from these groups where we were unable to book an interview ahead of broadcast time. Student listeners are reminded that AMS and SGPS elections and referenda happen on February 6th and 7th, 2024, and ballot information will be sent by each student government to their membership for online voting purposes. Please visit myams.org or sgps.ca for more information about elections and referenda for each student government. Now, let's turn it over to Erica Singh and her conversation with the ASIS orientation team about their referendum campaign. Over to you, Erica. Here is the head gale for ASIS orientation. Can you please tell us a bit about your initiative? Yeah, so um, ASIS orientation, as you can understand, is is a huge, I guess, group of uh, volunteers and, and other individuals who help welcome the first years to Queens. We do a lot for the local Kingston community as well as the Queens community. And so our fundraising fee is used to help facilitate our partnership with the Canadian Cancer Society and in helping run uh, cover some of the operational costs of creating um, some events that help really make substantial profits so we can help contribute to the community and facilitate that relationship with the CCS. And what is your referendum question? So it is, um, do you agree to the continuation of the assets orientation fundraising fee of 75 cents subject to an individual opt-out for the next three years? This fee was originally established in 2018 and last went to referendum in 2020. And why should students support assets orientation? Um, assets orientation, although we mainly, our goal is to help facilitate the transition for first years, students. We also really contribute to the Queen's community and as well as the Kingston community. So some of our events such as sidewalk sale have over 10,000 visitors each year and it's an opportunity for students as well as Kingston community to help support a really great cause in the Canadian Cancer Society and it really creates an opportunity for students to interact with local businesses and as well as clubs. And it really facilitates the feeling of community. So I think it allowing us to receive this fee really helps cover those operational costs and allows to continue these amazing traditions. And how can people vote? So the voting will take place on February 6th and 7th using the AMS simply voting system so students will receive an email from this and they can just click on the link and sign in and hopefully vote for us 
And now we turn it back over to Erica with her conversation with Maha from Oper Kingston about the Oper Kingston campaign for an SGPS student fee also going to referenda on February 6th and 7th. Here is Maha from Operg. Could you please tell us a bit about your club? Um, yeah, so OPERG stands for the Ontario Public Interest Research Group. Um, OPERG Kingston is a local student-directed and community-minded group. Um, we're all about research, education, and action for social and environmental justice. Um, we've had an undeniable mark on and beyond campus for over 30 years. Um, we've initiated and or supported lots and lots of different community groups and initiatives and projects. Um, one being Real Out Queer Film Festival, which is celebrating its 25th year this year, um, or Queens Backing Action on the Climate Crisis. Um, we've organized inclusive programming, empowered and educated students to take action on various different topics. Um, and we facilitated connections between student and non-student community members, which is super awesome. And why should students support your club? Um, so Oprah Kingston is student directed and student driven. SGPS members make up a large majority of the people who contribute to and volunteer with us. Um, we offer countless ways for grad and professional students to take action inspired by their research um, or other critical interests and most importantly by the desire to challenge injustice. As a former gender studies MA student, I completed a practicum with Oprah Kingston in 2020 um, to start the Queer Muslim Resistance podcast, and it has a large global reach today. Um, the work that Oprah Kingston does and has been doing uh, continues to be critical to campus politics and culture. Uh, for example, in 1992 and 1993, one of our first environmental campaigns was to green student housing. Um, so Oprah volunteers helped to winterize student homes to reduce energy consumption in the university district. Uh, so volunteers made material impacts by increasing the energy efficiency of student housing. Um, we've since grown and taken up a lot of different issues, um, including but not limited to construct, uh, conducting the first campus woman safety audit, um, educating and advocating for more fair trade products on campus, uh, developing the Queen's Positive Space Program, fostering Queen's Black History Month, and so much more. Um, and finally, we have rad programming and working groups. Um, one of them, or I'll, I'll actually go through them. So Mutual Aid Gardens is a volunteer run uh, network where all are welcome to participate. So anyone can help garden, promote free veggie markets and take and or offer any veggies. Uh, Roots and Wings is a group that offers social justice workshop for racialized youth. Umbrella Academy um, is a transgender advocacy association that, that organizes critical programming for trans folks in the community. Uh, the Gender Affirming Assistance Project supports two-spirit, trans, non-binary, and gender diverse community members. And finally, the Queer Muslim Resistance Podcast uh, focuses on social justice topics and conversations from queer Muslim perspectives. And now we go over to Erica and her conversation with the Proactive Minds team seeking an AMS fee at referendum on February 6th and 7th at Queen's University. Here is Kaylee from Proactive Minds. Can you please tell us a bit about your club? So 
I'm Kaylee, and I am the co-chair and the co-founder of Proactive Minds. So Proactive Minds is an entirely student-run organization, and our entire goal is to provide mental health um, education to students aged 11 to 14 in the greater Kingston area. So we founded this club, my co-founder and I, um, because we saw that there's a lot of conversation about mental health and mental illness um, for young adults, for people in university and for adults, but there really wasn't any for this age group specifically. Um, this age group is really important because um, there's a, it's a time when a lot of psychological changes are going on, psychological and biological that are changing kind of the way that their brain works, the way that they perceive rewards and whatnot, um, and also a lot of social changes. There's a big shift between um, their family and maybe their family friends being the most important people in their life to their schoolmates and their friends and their peers and whatnot. So all of these factors make it a very susceptible time to develop mental illness or to develop poor mental health. So our whole thinking was that if students are old enough to be feeling these things, then they're old enough that we should be talking about this. All right. And what is your referendum question? So our referendum question is um, to establish a 20 cent fee um, subject to individual opt out that will go towards proactive minds. So a big part of our programming is that we offer everything completely for free. Um, we don't think that a, a student's like ability to access mental health resources should be determined by either their socioeconomic status or the economic status of their school, um, the, whether their teachers have the disposable income to spend on these types of materials. So a big part of our the money that would be raised through this would be to ensuring that this is financially accept, accessible for our, our the schools we go into and the students we, we work with. And why should students support your club? Yeah, so something that you know, we always talk about is the impact on um, the local Kingston students, but our club really does have a positive impact on Queen students as well. So research has shown that volunteering kind of goes both ways, that having a purpose and having, you know, something that you're working to that's kind of bigger than yourself can have really positive um, impacts on volunteers' mental health, as well as the social opportunities that it provides. Um, so we're hoping that, you know, this kind of becomes a lot bigger presence in the Queen's community so that Queen students can feel these benefits as well. Um, and really just in general, um, our club works a lot to kind of destigmatize mental health and to start these conversations, but not only with, you know, the younger students in the, in the Kingston area and their teachers and their parents, but also with Queen students. And how can people vote? So people can vote um, on February 6th and 7th there you will receive a referenda email um, and you'll have the options to vote yes, no or abstain. We're hoping you vote yes um, when you see our question about 20 cents for proactive minds. We'll also be in the ARC um, for a few days next week if you want to come talk to any of us one on one, you know, learn more about our club, ask us any questions or whatnot. And you can also follow our social media, Proactive Minds Kingston, where we'll be posting a lot more about it there. And now we turn it over to Erica's conversation with representatives from QBAS, the Queen's Black Academic Society, seeking an AMS student fee at referendum February 6th and 7th, 2024. 
Here is Cubass. Could you please tell us a bit about your club? All right. So today I am here on behalf of Cubass, which is Queen's Black Academic Society. This is a club that has been around for quite some time now. It was established in 2011, and it was kind of created to provide a community within like different environments at Queens, whether it be academically or socially. Um, originally, it did start off as a smaller club amongst a few Black students, and over the years, with the Black student population kind of growing, um, it has grown so much and has kind of become a staple of the experiences of a lot of Black students here at Queens. As a club, we host around two to three events a month, whether it be our real talks or events that our year reps plan, as well as our annual barbecue and conference, which is some of our main events throughout each year. Our theme for um, this year conference is Black Joy, and it's kind of a space where we plan to showcase Black creativity, resilience, and success, and just how, as students and individuals, how we are planning to um, shape the future and display ourselves as innovators. But beyond all of this, QBAS really just holds a safe space for like students seeking belonging and inclusion, as well as like different opportunities to be involved on campus. And what is your referendum question? So, I mean, our question is just to establish a fee of 50 cents to support, um, you know, the cost associated with Queen's Black Academic Society. And why should students support your club? Well, ultimately, by supporting QBAS, students will be contributing to like the advancements of our initiatives and not only the ones that we get to host, but the one that we the ones that we get to partake in. So what I mean by this is that with this funding, we do not only like obtain more money, but we we kind of obtain the opportunity to do more as a club. Um, like I mentioned earlier, with the Black student population growing, there are more people to tend to. And with more people to tend to, there are a lot of costs associated with this. And this is something that I'm really recognizing within this year. On top of that, our goal is to make a club like QBAS more accessible. For many students, QBAS is considered the BSA of this university, and it would be nice to host more of our events for free, because I think this is a club that should not you know, be a privilege, but also a right. And I think that's what makes this investment of this funding so much more worth it. You know, especially considering the experiences as well as the space of belonging that we provide with this funding, we get to alleviate and remove a barrier, more specifically a financial barrier to providing this for students. And how can people vote? Well, you guys can all vote through the AMS Simply Voting link, and we will also keep this link within our Instagram bio. And now we go over to Erica's conversation with Queen's Dental Aid Network, or QDAN, about their student fee referendum campaign. Here is Connor from the Queen's Dental Aid Network. Please tell us a bit about your club. Yeah, so our club is the Queen's Dental Aid Network. We were founded last January 2023, and our initial idea was, in general, making oral care more accessible for those in need around the Kingston community, the marginalized populations, and Queen's students across the campus. Our main goal was uh, pushing corporate heads and larger companies, retailers, and wholesalers 
to donate any nearly expired or overstocked uh, hygiene products that we can donate to overnight shelters, community centers, and uh, food banks like the AMS Food Bank. And in the past year, we've been able to repurpose over $4,000 worth of product from dentists, wholesalers, and distributors. And what is your referendum question? Our question is pretty simple. Uh, do you agree to the establishment of a 75 cent fee subject to opt out to support the efforts of Queen's Dental Aid Network? And why should students support your club? A lot of people have been asking us recently uh, why they should give us a, a mere 75 cents every semester as their money might just be going into someone else's pockets who aren't making enough money. However, it's a small investment in garnering support from larger companies, corporate heads, politicians, and investors. Our plans are to host fundraisers and conferences with the initial investment of Queen's students to then further our mission by collecting donations from larger individuals across the country. So it's it's kind of you have to spend money to make money that can help support our, our mission here at Queen's Dental Aid Network. And how can people vote? So voting is February 6th and 7th. If you want to check your Queen's email when that happens, you'll get an email from the AMS and uh, you can see our club in the short survey. Uh, we'll have a simple question that you can uh, that you can click and you can read a, a little blurb about our club and what we do. All you have to do is click if you want to uh, uh, vote for our student fee or not. Very simple. It takes 20 seconds or less. And now we go over to AMS Social Issues Commissioner Ruth Sunday on the Menstrual Equity Fund, also seeking a fee through the AMS referendum occurring February 6th and 7th. Hi everyone, my name is Ruth Asunde and I'm one of the social issues commissioners for this year. So we're a little different, we're not a club. The SICK is a commission for students who um, are equity deserving or who want to engage in equity work. We offer the opportunity to do so in several different forms of equity. So we have a bunch of different committees, including Accessibility Queens, Equip, which is our committee that deals with issues around queer discrimination and anything for students who are 2SLGBTQ+. We also have Collective Reflections, which I like to call our media house of the sick because they do a nice little magazine at the end of the year with a bunch of submissions so don't forget to follow those instagrams and then we have cared which is our committee against racial and ethnic discrimination the sick is a very important resource in the past it's gone over a lot of restructuring to include you know two senior managers which is something that the ms doesn't have in any other commissions and so we're really excited about the opportunity you know to get to access this fund so the first thing is what is the menstrual equity fee that's kind of our way of trying to end and period poverty on campus, but not just only end it, but also just getting to talk about it, right? Because a big part of menstrual equity and um, period equity is the fact that there's a stigma around it. And so we're hoping to be able to use the menstrual equity fee to kind of tackle that in two different ways. So one way through accessibility, but the other way through um, education, right? So we're seeking the student fee for it to be allocated towards our menstrual equity project. And the aim of this project is to ensure all students of all socioeconomic backgrounds at Queen's University have access to menstrual 
products on campus at no cost, right? As we've said before, period equity is a major issue facing many students across campus. And, you know, we're hoping that we can create a central fund that will increase that accessibility. And another thing is a lot of people are going to ask, okay, if you guys are not a club and you are part of the EMS and you guys get funding, why do you need a fee? So we currently have a fee, but that fee does not cover specific things as the products itself. Um, It doesn't cover menstrual equity. It's basically what the commission runs on. That includes, that's included in our, um, our salaries and what we pay our staff and all the other budgeting that the commission needs to run for the year. Um, We are hoping to support this fund in a sustainable manner. And we're very big believers of transparency. So the EMS has had existing projects on menstrual equity, and it's basically moved across different portfolios underneath the organization. So it's gone from being a part of the VP Ops, so that's the Vice President of Operations, to, you know, being a VPOA thing. And so now we're hoping to get it under the SIG, where it's going to be sustainable and hopefully permanent once we get this fee enacted. Another thing that I really do like to say is instability in the face of equity makes it very hard to provide equitable services to students. And we're basically hoping to curb that. We want to mitigate the opportunity for instability to negatively impact, you know, a queen student's chances of being able to access menstrual products on campus. Now, the next question is, how do you get involved as a student? So to be placed on the ballot, we've received over 204 signatures. And now we are actually on the ballot getting ready for the winter referendum slash election. So all you have to do is vote. Long story short is you have to vote. Come the date of the elections, get on your email and select yes for the menstrual equity fee because it's going to positively impact everyone. So voting will result in a yearly amount allocated to updating the menstrual devices across campus, combating stigma through education and replenishing supplies to make sure every student who needs those products have access to them. You're going to vote by heading to queensams.simplyvoting.com and then remind your friends to vote as well. This stands the chance of really changing what it looks like on campus for students who are menstruating. Stay updated by following us at the Social Issues Commission Instagram. Like I said, share it with your friends. And now we turn it over to the team from the Queen's Center for Teaching and Learning, also seeking an AMS fee at referendum on February 6th and 7th, 2024. Hi, my name is Carolyn McRae, and I'm an educational developer at the Center for Teaching and Learning, working with graduate students, teaching assistants, and faculty across campus. Hi, my name is Yasmin Jarbal, and I work as an educational developer and an associate director at the Center for Teaching and Learning uh, here at Queen's University. Carolyn, can you tell us a little bit about the Center for Teaching and Learning? Sure. The Center for Teaching and Learning is a unit on campus that supports all aspects of teaching, everything from supporting our TAs, our instructors, as well as the technology that we use in the classroom and online. What's really cool about the AMS relationship with the Center for Teaching and Learning is that we would not exist without the AMS. Back in 1992, it was the first time that a student group was able to help create a Center for Teaching and Learning at a university in the world. Undergraduate students understood the importance of supporting the professional development of educators at Queen's as teachers. And thanks to this generous donation from the AMS, Queen's was able to establish the first center for teaching and learning, a place where we collaborate and guide educators across campus, including TAs, teaching fellows, and faculty members with everything that has to do with teaching and learning, including course design, assessments, classroom environments, on cue, and educational technologies, and so much more. So what does this have to do with the AMS referendum? To vote yes at the referendum, will give the Center for Teaching and Learning a chance to be on the opt-out fee for the next year's academic year. 
Our question is, do you agree to the continuation of the Center for Teaching and Learning, what we call the CTL, fee of $2, subject to individual opt-out for the next three years? And so you must be wondering, why should students support or continue supporting our center? First of all, we work directly with TAs, helping them develop professionally as teachers, leading tutorials, seminars, labs, and all the tasks relating to their TA-ships and their work. We don't only work with TAs, but we work with all educators on campus. So that includes TAs, but also teaching fellows, adjuncts, faculty, everyone who teaches on campus in creating more innovative and inclusive environments, assessments, and all the course activities. And one of the really cool things is that we don't just talk and support with the learning environments. We also think about the physical classroom, working towards innovations in active learning designs and really increasing inclusivity of classrooms on campus. From the physical classroom to the online world, we also support the effective use of educational technologies, especially on cue. Thinking about how you navigate, thinking of how we support faculty in their creation of those on cue pages, as well as many of the other educational technologies you may have used in your classes. And we try to really collaborate with departments and units across campus, including SAS, Quick Center for International students or the human rights and equity office on resources and supports that impact the daily lives of Queen's students. So what does this all mean? To have the CTL on the AMS referendum ballot for next year, it means students who opt in to pay the $2 fee will support all that work that we do on campus to support teaching, TA development and growth as teachers, to enhance the student learning experience, and all of the support we provide with technologies like OnCue, and hopefully a great undergraduate learning experience for you. Supporting the CTL at the AMS referendum and voting yes is supporting your own learning. And thanks so much to those campaign teams that joined us for interviews and to record statements with CFRC. In our next statement, the CFRC student news team reads nomination package statements furnished to us by the AMS elections team as the clubs did not respond to CFRC's request for interviews by our broadcast time on February 2nd. The first referendum nominations package statement is from Union Gallery. Friends of Union Gallery, are you an undergraduate student? Union Gallery needs your vote. They're campaigning to continue their $4 optional fee for the next three years. Union Gallery is a not-for-profit, student-centered public contemporary art gallery at Queen's dedicated to showcasing students' artistic and curatorial practices. The AMS fee is key for Union Gallery to continue serving undergraduate students alongside other community members and professional artists. Love what they do? Please vote yes for Union Gallery on February 6th and 7th. Ballots will be sent directly to AMS members' university emails. Polls close on February 7th at 8 p.m. And coming up next, we have a referendum nominations package statement from Queen's Medical Review. The Queen's Medical Review is a student-run magazine that publishes issues on different themes in medicine. To support QRM, vote yes for their optional fee in the upcoming AMS election. And next up, we have a nominations package statement from Queen's Code. Queen's Code is a Canadian non-governmental organization focused on improving education and literacy for children in developing countries by increasing their access to high-quality educators and learning materials. To support Queen's Code, vote yes for their optional fee in the upcoming AMS election. And now we have a referendum nominations package statement from the Queen's ASL Club. Queen's American Sign Language Club offers students a fun and engaging environment to learn sign language. Students with any level of background ASL knowledge are encouraged to attend our casual classes taught by a deaf instructor. New members are always welcome. Additionally, each year, QASL offers an official ASL Level 1 course for students to register for and earn a Level 1 certificate by the end of the year. QASL also hosts ASL and deaf culture workshops for general members and interested Queen's students, as well as workshops in collaboration with clubs and services. 
These initiatives provide groups with tools to start breaking down barriers to accessibility on campus. Next term, we are aiming to introduce a few new workshop themes with our Deaf Educator First Aid Health related ASL and Business Customer Service Workshop. QASL is the first and only ASL related club on Queens campus and we have worked extensively with Queens students to create a more inclusive and accessible environment for deaf and hard hearing individuals at the university. QASL intends to continue bridging the gap between the deaf and hard of hearing communities and the hearing community. If you are interested in attending casual classes or learning more about our club, Check out our Instagram at QueensASL to keep up to date with our activities and opportunities for you to get involved. Please feel free to reach out with any questions about our initiatives or learn about how you can contribute to making Queens more accessible. And now we go over to a nominations package statement from Queens Protecting Animal Welfare Society, also known as QPAWS. Queen Protects Animal Welfare Society, or QPAWS, was unable to meet for an interview, but the AMS election team sent us the following language from the club to use in their nomination package. Queens Protects Animal Welfare Society, or QPAWS, is a club that started in 2020. Three years later, they are still working hard to advocate for our furry friends at the Kingston Humane Society. The QPAWS team works tirelessly to advertise on their Instagram, at QPAWS Queens, to promote their latest events and post yummy treat recipes for students and staff to test out with their pets. The overall health and well-being of animals is one of QPAWS' top priorities as the team continues to teach the Queens community about pet safety. They are a non-profit organization where 100% of proceeds are given to the Kingston Humane Society. QPAWS is honored to help support them as they know how hard they work to care for these suffering animals. The co-chairs of 2023 to 2024, Olivia Leon and Michaela Garofalo, are excited to announce that QPAWS has over 70 members this year, and the team cannot wait to meet new friends at their booth and events as the year continues. The QPAWS team is filled with compassionate animal lovers who work to support their furry friends of all kinds. The Kingston Humane Society does phenomenal work in caring for all sorts of animals, and they are always looking for volunteers to help around the grounds and to foster and adopt these adorable pets. For more information, it can be found on their Instagram at the Kingston Humane Society. QPAWS is a diligent club that hopes to continue to make a difference in both the lives of the Queens community and the Kingston Humane Society. Look up their Instagram, QPAWS Queens, to learn more about this club. And finally, we have a referendum nomination package statement from the Sexual Health Assault Center Kingston. The Sexual Assault Center Kingston was unable to meet for an interview, but the AMS elections team sent us the following language from the club used in their nomination package. The Sexual Assault Center Kingston, or SAC, is a nonprofit organization providing free, confidential, non judgmental support for all survivors, regardless of their gender identity. 12 plus of recent and or historical sexual violence in Kingston, Frontenac, Lenox, and Addington since 1978. In addition, they run a 24-7 crisis and support line that covers various catchment areas across the province, including Cornwall, Ottawa, North Bay, Renfrew, Niagara, and Belleville area. They also operate a 12-7 chat and text line. At the heart of their work is a deep partnership with our community and all its members. Together, they strive to support individuals and their loved ones to heal from sexual violence, to educate individuals and organizations on the impact of sexual violence, and organize and advocate for systemic and social change required to end sexual violence. SAC board and volunteers are made up of Kingston community members, Kingston students, professors, survivors, and advocates. Their large volunteer pool, who operate their crisis and chat lines, are majority Queen's students, Last year, their volunteers provided over 12,000 hours of their time ensuring coverage of all the lines. 
The SAC Center supports over 450 survivors in individual counseling. This year, they have continued to expand their Diverse Communities program to provide culturally appropriate service to BIPOC communities. They believe survivors are the experts on their own journeys and seek to provide options and choices through their counseling journey. SAC also strives to apply an anti-racist, anti-oppressive lens to all their work and commits to removing barriers to service through childcare subsidizes, transportation assistance, translation, and interpretation services, as well as technology subsidizes for distance counseling options. To learn more about this organization, visit SAC Kingston on Instagram. Thank you to the groups that met with our student team and a special thanks to CFRC student team members for their quick work to engage community groups and student clubs at Queens seeking fees or renewal of fees at the upcoming AMS and SGPS referenda taking place alongside executive and rector elections on February 6th and 7th. Student listeners are reminded that AMS and SGPS elections and referenda again happen February 6th and 7th and ballot information will be sent by each student government to their memberships for online voting purposes. Please visit myams.org or sgps.ca for more information about elections and referenda for each student government. We'll be back in a few moments with coverage of the January 31st Society of Graduate and Professional Students All Candidates Debate. And welcome back to our special edition of Campus Beat. I'm Dinah Jansen. Coming up next, we present the Society of Graduate and Professional Students All Candidates Debate, which happened virtually on January 31st. Video of the undertakings is available via sgps.ca and SGPS social media. Let's jump in now to the debate featuring discussion by SGPS executive candidates facilitated by SGPS Council Speaker Eileen Editha, who kindly furnished CFRC with this recording. Um, so good evening, everyone. Welcome to the SGPS 2024-2025 Executive Elections All Candidates Debate. My name is Eileen, and I will be the SGPS Council Speaker, and I will be the moderator for tonight. To begin, let us acknowledge first that Queens is situated on Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. We are grateful to be able to live, learn, and play on these lands as uninvited guests. Um, to acknowledge these traditional territories, to recognize the longer history, uh, one that predates the establishment of the earliest European colonies. And it's also to acknowledge the territory's significance for the indigenous peoples who lived and continue to live upon it and whose practices and spiritualities were tied to the land and continue to develop in relationship to the territory and its other inhabitants today. Okay. So the debate is a chance for all candidates to interact with, address questions from, and respond to their peers and fellow SGPS members. SGPS council representatives and current exec members have sent in some pre-prepared questions, but our audience members will hear the rest. So part one of the debate will involve SGPS-wide pre-prepared questions posed to all six candidates. Uh, candidates go in a randomized order stated by the uh, part two of the debate will involve pre-prepared position-specific questions. Part three will address audience questions, which can be directed at anyone 
um, sorry, which can be directed to everyone, a specific position or a specific candidate. As this is a debate, candidates are permitted and encouraged to offer counterpoints. But in the interest of time and fairness, please write these down and we will address them in part three. If you have any questions for any of our audiences, if you have any questions that you would like to ask, please feel free to direct message me on Zoom. And please specify if it is a general question or if it is directed to a specific position or candidate. So we will now begin with each candidate's opening statement in the order that they are listed on the SGPS website. So this will be Emils, Simran, Katie, Julia, Gabe, and Mike. Okay, um, without further ado, I will pass the mic on to Emils if you wanna make your opening statement. Hi everyone, my name is Emil Matisse. I'm a second year neuroscience PhD student and a candidate for SGPS president. This is my third SGPS debate. My journey began four years ago when I ran for the graduate student senator position. I was elected and subsequently re-elected, reflecting my commitment to university governance. Each day brings new learning opportunities, and through my experiences, I've gained a thorough understanding of the university systems and processes. I foster relationships with key decision makers and have become acutely aware of the challenges we face. I'm running for president because I believe my skills and knowledge uniquely equip me to navigate the complexities this role entails. Over the past four years, I've been a staunch advocate for students. Now I seek your support to escalate my efforts in what promises to be my most demanding yet rewarding role to date. I'm here not only to speak, but to listen, to learn, and with your trust, become one of your biggest allies at Queen's. Thank you. Great, thank you so much for that. Uh, next, we have Simran. Simran, go ahead. Hello, everyone. I'm Simran. I'm a first-year PhD student at uh, Global Death Studies. I, I, I moved to Kingston about like six months ago, and uh, I've been involved in um, student, student versus guts, Queen's community housing. Um, a lot of things that's happening on campus recently. Um, I have also been, have, I've also had leadership positions previously. Um, I, I've, I've studied, worked in Delhi, in London, uh, met with a lot of people, experienced a lot of different contexts and kind of shaped a lot of, a lot of my uh, plans for the future based on those experiences. I guess as, a vice president candidate for community, I'd be using those experiences as a tool. I don't have any set plan, but one set plan I do have is to keep constant communication channels open with the grad community so that uh, I'm not working in isolation with the needs of the grad student community, but with them. Great, thank you very much for that, Simran. Next, we have Katie. Hi everyone, my name is Katie Zutatis and I am a third year PhD candidate in the Department of Biomedical and Molecular Sciences. Um, I've been a graduate student here at Queen's since the fall of 2020 um, and I wanted to get more engaged with the Queen's graduate community and so I joined the SGPS in about 2022. So I've been the deputy speaker now for two consecutive terms um, and I've also been a volunteer on the Finance and Services Committee which works directly with the VP Finance and Services of the SGPS which is the role that I am running for in this election. Um, based on my experience I've been able to witness some of the uh, ongoings of the SGPS, get myself more familiar, and in working with the financial uh, bursary program that the SGPS runs, I've had a good insight into that program and now look to take the next step as the VP Finance and Services to build and actually be able to advocate for students uh, with the rest of the executive. Great, thank you so much for that, Katie. Uh, next, we have Julia. 
Julia, go ahead. Hello, I'm Julia Tropak. I am currently a master's student in the Department of Chemistry, but I'll be transferring to my PhD later this year. Um, I have been at Queens actually since 2018 as my for my undergrad. Um, as VP graduate, I really want to be an advocate for grad students. I know that balancing life in Kingston and all of the responsibilities we have as grad students is difficult, and I want to make it just easier for us to function in this kind of world. I have lots of leadership experience. I've been in Queens bands for my whole undergraduate career and the last two years. Um, and I've had leadership experiences there. I was the head color guard and now I'm serving as the drum major, as well as I've been in charge of organizing our yearly like recital concert event. Um, so I've had the pleasure or perhaps displeasure of seeing how the internal structure of Queens works um, and just really, I've enjoyed representing the Queens community over the last several years, um, in Queens bands. And I just am excited and I'm hoping to continue that. Great. Thank you so much for that, Julia. Next we have Zaid. Hello everyone. Uh, my name is Zaid Kassim. I use he, him pronouns, and I'm in my second year of my master's of applied science and civil engineering. Uh, although, uh, this is my seventh year at Queens. So I've been here since 2017. I did my undergrad here, uh, and I'm running to be your SGPS vice president graduate. So I bring a wealth of experience and an understanding of the challenges and opportunities facing the Queens graduate community. My past roles equip me with the skills and insights to represent and advocate for you. In my fifth year, I was the 152nd AMS president. I navigated post-COVID-19 challenges, played a key role in the approval of the new JADA. I established BIPOC Talk, and I founded the Peach Market. My experience in dealing with administration is extensive, allowing me to engage with them effectively. Prior to this, in my third year, I served as a vice president of student affairs at the, of the universe of the um, um, the engineering society, and I've held executive roles on Jack.org and the Vogue Charity Fashion Show, where my involvement in clubs has grounded me in the realities and aspirations of the broader student body. I'm currently employed at the Student Experience Office as the student lead of leadership and development programs, where I've gained an insider's perspective on university operations, enhancing my ability to navigate and influence these systems for the benefit of graduate students. My platform revolves around advocacy for your livability and quality of life by championing increases to your base funding packages, cheaper student housing options, and addressing widespread food insecurity by working with the AMS Food Bank and other Kingston organizations to provide more utility and options for you. I promise to lobby provincial governments uh, and decrease your tuition fees, and I will negotiate for more funding opportunities. Um, lastly, really quickly, uh, I also plan on marginal on advocating for marginalized communities and those who identify as QT BIPOC to dismantle Queen's institutionalized oppression. Uh, thank you, everyone, uh, for listening to my opening, and I'm very eager to be here tonight. Great. Thank you so much for that, And next, uh, last but not least, we have Maya. Hello everyone, thank you for coming today. My name's Maya Pawali and I'm a second year law student here at Queens. I'm currently the VP professional, so I'm running for another term because I've really enjoyed my time this far. And I have various leadership experience while at Queens and also during my undergraduate degree. So here I'm, I've been an orientation leader for incoming law students. I'm a member of the elections committee for the Law Student Society at Queens. I do advocacy work for the broader Kingston community through my role at the Queen's Business Law Clinic and as well as advocacy work through my current capacity as a VP professional. I've really enjoyed all of the things that I've learned this year and I'd love the opportunity to do it all again. I've been on the Housing and Ancillary Services Board. I'm on the Board of Directors for the Grad Club. I was part of the Sexual Violence 
policy working group. And I've really enjoyed being a part of all of these decisions that have an influence on our wider community, student government, and being involved in my community have, have always been really important aspects to me. And I've really loved my time on the SGPS and I'm hoping for another year doing it. So thank you, everybody. Great. Thank you so much for that, Maya. And thank you to all of our candidates for their opening statements. Um, as I mentioned before, the first part of this debate will um, concern SGPS-wide questions posed to all six candidates. So we have selected three pre-prepared questions. So two candidates will answer the same question and then we will move on and change. Um, so selected in a randomized order, um, first of all, question for Julia and Zadie. Shift survey results were presented in November 2023, showing that graduate students are facing both housing and food insecurity with international students and students with disabilities most at risk. How would you leverage your position to improve these conditions? Okay. Um, I'll just repeat that one more time. Shift survey results were presented in November 2023, showing that graduate students are facing both housing and food insecurity with international students and students with disabilities most at risk. How would you leverage your position to improve these conditions? You have two minutes to answer, and I'll start with Zaid. Awesome. Thank you so much for that question. Um, so um, I actually work with the Student Experience Office and the SHIFT project. Um, so Taryn, who runs the SHIFT project, um, I actually helped her uh, facilitate this survey. Um, in regards to both of these important topics, I can talk how-tos for both, but I would generally follow the same um, procedure, I'd say, for both for leveraging my position. I think the first thing, uh, no matter what we do, no matter who in the roles, we have to gather more data. Um, I so I plan on collecting more comprehensive data data on the current um, current levels of food insecurity that students are facing. As as comprehensive as the shift survey is, I actually don't think um, it's quite enough. Uh, and I think we need um, a bit more uh, research and 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 backing just because work by working with the administration in the past, I know that they require a lot of um, backup when you have proposals. Um, next, I would generally um, build a coalition. So unite with um, grad students um, and other student groups as well um, to form a cohesive group, group because there's a strength in numbers. Next, I would identify allies. Um, creating awareness, I think, is also a big thing. I think one of the things that the SGPS could do um, is better uh, mobilize um, on social media and other outlets to create awareness. Uh, and then after getting that research, developing proposals and kind of going to the administration uh, and kind of um, talking to about 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 you know some some proposals based off the research we do, and then negotiate. Uh, and then if things don't work out, um, leveraging external pressure. Um, the university is very sensitive to external pressure. Um, so utilizing media sources and uh, kind of going out there to get some support from the broader public uh, and whenever we can, um, utilizing legal and policy frameworks that already exist. Uh, and after we have those discussions, being sure to follow up and hold the university accountable on any discussions uh, and things that we come up with. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Julia, after two minutes, would you like me to repeat the question? I'm all right. Okay, great. Go ahead. So there are two main things that I want to do with this question. And one is talking about how Queens themselves can help 
um, us address food insecurity. And the other is how we can put pressure on Queens to help us again. So the first one is Queens has housing services and residents dining services already as it is. And they can, they should be able to create programs for grad students specifically because they know that we are important to the school and we deserve representation and funding and all of the things to make our lives easier. They can, I would plan to propose a program for grad students to be able to access meal plans and dining hall food that would be offered at a reduced rate. And the other part of that question, the other part of that and putting pressure on Queens would be Queens really loves its alumni. And as a part of Queens bands, we really like, uh, we ha have a lot of experience with the alumni association and I would use the combination of my leverage as SGPS vice president and also my experience in bands to really encourage alumni to put pressure on Queens to improve the grad student experience for um, food insecurity. Great, thank you so much for that, Julia, and to Dave as well. Um, next question is from Maya and Dean. So, just because Queens is in a budget deficit does not mean that students need what are your priorities for improving the lives of students? And how will you make a compelling case for those priorities given the budgetary constraints? I'll repeat that again. Just because Queens is in a budget deficit does not mean that students need seasons. What are your priorities for improving the lives of students and how will you make a compelling case for those priorities given the budgetary constraints? And we'll start with Maya first. Maya, you have two minutes. Okay, well, I think that although there are budgetary constraints, we can still do a lot with our current reserves that we have as well as just doing events on a costly budget. And I've noticed that even with the planning of the Medlaw Games this year, it's not as much about planning the events as themselves, but figuring out how to do it in the most cost efficient manner. So that can be implemented by things like ticket sales and things like that to kind of generate revenue that allows us to run these events without incurring too much of a, of a cost. And I would put students' needs first by, of course, hearing from the student body, hearing what people want. I know that uh, law students really liked our headshots that we hosted this year. So I'd love to do that again. I think that was a really great event that the LSS held. So I think it's just a matter of knowing what the demand is and knowing what people want, and then just kind of figuring out a way to do that in the most co cost-efficient manner. So that's kind of how I would tackle that. Uh, thank you for that. Katie, you have two minutes. Yeah, thank you for that question. And I think I'd like to just build off of what Maya has already kind of brought to light, um, is that graduate students, as we are fairly spread across campus, it is really important for us to come together. And so ensuring that events that people are interested in can still be held and we can actually have communication with each other, I think is really important. And so focusing on ways that we can do that through orientation activities or, or SGPS or non-SGPS events that we can help fund and support is really important. Um, and something that I also want to note is that through our financial assistance program, we provide some forms of assistance to students and really reassuring that those forms of assistance are not going to be depleted due to the financial status, I think is really important in reaffirming people that, yes, that will not 
fix everyone's problems, but we can still provide support where we can. Um, and really just reaffirming to students that there is some aid that we can provide and directing people to where that's best available, I think is still important given the budgetary climate. Great, thank you very much for that, Katie. And thank you as well to Maya. Uh, finally, we have our third and final question, which is posed for Emil Vincent. Students' faith in Queens as an institution has been shaken over the past few months. In your opinion, how can Queens rebuild trust with students? Let me just repeat that again. Students' faith in Queens as an institution has been shaken over the past few months. In your opinion, how can Queens rebuild trust? And I will start with you. Go ahead. Um, thank you for the question, first of all. Um, there has been a lot of issues and tra tractions with grad student community or even undergrads and the administrators. Um, there have been um, canceled town halls, canceled conversations, um, not listening to the voices of the grad students, uh, the community, the students in general, um, people who built this university into a university. Um, I'm not sure how how to build that trust with the current administration to be to be very honest but one thing that we can do is keep pushing for our voices to be heard and uh, the more pressure there is on um, on this administrators uh, the better it will be and another the strategic way to do would be to find allies within uh, within the administration, within the Queen's administration, because I'm sure not everyone wants to um, mess up the university. Uh, so trying to find map those allies and uh, I guess mobilize on more grassroots uh, on a grad student level to put pressure. Thank you so much for that, Simran. Next, we have emails. Emails, go ahead. Thank you so much, Eileen. Uh, that's a very simple question with an incredibly complex answer uh, and cause. Um, I think the largest issue here is we have a lack of communication, um, but it's not just simply a lack of communication. It's that we also uh, don't have much clarity with how these decisions are being made. And the reason we don't have much clarity is because each of the different levels has a very different purview of what they can do. So the provost has very broad strokes of what they can what they can set within the university, but they don't have power over granular details. That rests with the deans. So then the deans have their own purview of, of how they're um, essentially choosing to implement the budget cuts that they're being uh, asked to do. And it's a very complex interplay where you don't have much communication and universities as a whole, and especially Queens are incredibly siloed and very vertically structured. So there's not a lot of horizontal linkages for communication. And one thing that I've been working on with my position as student Senate um, chair, uh, student Senate caucus chair, is to essentially improve the communication between faculty society presidents and the leaders that eventually will be speaking with administrations. So that's myself, that's with the rector, that's AMS and SGPS presidents. Um, and it's with in increased um, horizontal and vertical linkages that will hopefully get more communication. And there already is some goodwill from uh, the principal, Patrick, who is now meeting with um, student faculty society presidents uh, twice a year. And hopefully we'll get more opportunities for our senators to be meeting um, with the provost and um, the vice principal of um, finance. So I'm hopeful that with increased communication, we'll see a better result. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much for that. And thank you also to Simran. So that concludes part one of our debate. Um, may I just remind our attendees that you can still send in questions 
um, feel free to just direct message myself or Devin Howley. Um, you can find him somewhere there um, with your question and please specify who it is directed to. Your questions can be for everyone, for a specific person, or for a specific position. Okay, so for part two, um, we will go through some pre-prepared position-specific questions. So starting with a question for the president candidate, Niels. One of the challenges with representing the SGPS is that we have a voice on many committees and at many levels of the administration. But that does not mean that the voice will be heard. This often means striking a balance between saying what needs to be said for the sake of your membership, but also making sure that the message is heard. What will you do to make sure that student concerns are not only listened to, but heard and taken into serious consideration. So I think the best strategy to address this is to make sure that you are reaching out to all of the stakeholders that, that make these decisions. And then you have as many uh, offline conversations as possible. Because coming to the floor and, and saying something loudly is certainly a strategy, but it's not the most effective one. You want to make sure that the stakeholders you're engaging with are aware of your concerns, they're aware of what your needs are, and you've talked about what their needs and opportunities are so you find the best possible outcome. So building trust uh, between the stakeholders and making sure that you have best possible goodwill on both sides will then result to the point where you can come to a more public forum and say, this is what we need, this is what we propose, this is what we've discussed. And if you still don't have what you need, then of course you can go ahead and say, these are our needs because we absolutely have to share those. But at that point, it's not a surprise to anybody. And then that way you can hopefully find a solution where the resources that you need can be brought to you. Um, and despite what people might think, our role is not to be an adversary with the administration. We are trying to come together as a team as much as possible. They do want to help us. Uh, they want to make sure students have the best possible experience. They, they don't have necessarily all the resources to do that. So it's, it's our job to find the, the happy medium and look for new solutions that otherwise haven't been explored and bring them to light. Great. Thank you very much for that, Emil. Um, next, we have a question for uh, the VP community, which is, uh, which external partners, i.e. partners outside the university, are you most excited to collaborate with and why? Uh, you have two minutes there to answer your question. Um, I think one of uh, one of the big things on my uh, campaign is trying to elevate the concerns of community housing changes that are being implemented. The rent hike from ten point uh, a ten point five percent rent hike um, directly impacting um, a lot of international students, a lot of uh, young grad student couples, a lot of uh, young families. Um, and it's just going to, uh, again, make it difficult for them to just put food on the table with if the rent hikes uh, keep happening like this, if the changes keep continuing. So I think just connecting with the broader Kings uh, uh, landlord tenant board, um, the broader Kingston Community Housing uh, Association, and uh, trying to um, build off on their experience, I guess, um, trying to take a lot of uh, strategies from them to see how we can navigate the situation with the with the with community housing landlords because uh, because 
because the policy changes have already starting to getting it's starting to get implemented and once it starts happening it sets a precedent so this this like very uh, limited time that we have so there would be a need to accelerate it to the highest possible uh, council here in Kingston. And also, I don't know if PSAC is external, but I'm really excited uh, for SGPS to um, shake hands with PSAC and, uh, uh, you know, work. they have so many amazing campaigns going on. So connect with them and um, more in solidarity with what PSAC is also uh, rooting for. Thank you for that, Simran. Uh, next, we have a question for the VP Finance and Services candidate. Uh, international students often have less access to financial resources than domestic students and have been shown to be experiencing higher levels of housing and food insecurity. How would you improve the financial assistance program to ensure this inequity will be addressed? You have two minutes. Uh, thank you for this question, Eileen. Um, this is something that I think has been really poignant this year, especially um, on the Finance and Services Committee. Um, we've seen this a lot with a lot of the cases that come through for financial assistance. Um, a lot are international students seeking support uh, in various ways. And so we started to address some of these concerns already this year in terms of adjusting some of the, the budget allocations for the different groups um, to try to provide more funding for international students. But of course, it's only a small contribution that the financial assistance program can make. And so one thing that I want to continue to do is to collaborate with the um, different international student communities on campus. So whether that's through QUIC, whether that's through um, the SGPS International uh, Commissioner, and continue to make more networks uh, with international student communities to find ways to best serve them and see if there are either um, SGPS finances that we can put forward to that, or if we can access different resources across campus. And I think really having a directory of, of services that we can provide to students is really important. Um, when students are in need of assistance, it's really hard to look at 20 different places. So trying to centralize some of that support um, and provide them avenues all from one place, I think is really important and is something that I'll try to continue to do. Great, thank you very much for that, Katie. Uh, next, we have a question for our contested position, the Vice President of Graduates. Um, there has been some news surrounding Queen's financial situation, with specific reference to the cuts within the Faculty of Arts and Science. As the situation evolves, how do you see the SGPS advocating for and supporting our graduate students within that faculty? And I will start with you. The Faculty of Arts and Science is obviously very close to my heart as being in chemistry for my graduate degree and also, of course, as my undergraduate degree. And I really just want, as, or in this position, I really just want to make sure that Queens is communicating with us because the biggest problem with all of this news that has come out is that Queens has not been clear or communicative with its departments and saying, hey, we're struggling, we don't have the money for this, that, and the other thing. And it all just came out at once. And that I think is one of the biggest problems. But if Queens can communicate and say, hey, if we do this, that, and the other thing, then we can actually succeed and we can help our students, then I think that will create a much better situation for both the students and also those in Queens for not facing the flack from hiding things. Great, thank you very much for that, Julia. Uh, next, I'll pass the mic over to Zaid. You have two minutes. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. So firstly, I think the the primary issue in regards to the um, how the SGPS can help, my number one priority would just to be um, obviously to represent our graduate students and to ensure that the university doesn't forget that most graduate students aren't only just students, we're also staff. Uh, many of us are TAs, many of us are keenly uh, involved. And, um, you know, I was watching the uh, the leaks video with Provost Matthew Evans and a TA had asked a question and the general um, the general attitude to towards that was, oh, no, you're you're not involved in these kinds of conversations. So ensuring that graduate students are represented in those conversations. And I think, of course, you know, the SGPS does have a responsibility to ensure that um, ASSIS, um, the Arts and Science Undergraduate Society, is supported in their conversations. Um, and I know that will be a lot of uh, a Mills as, a, you know, the incoming president's role. Um, but, um, you know, I would want to support however I can to elevate those voices. Um, I also um, want to just ensure that, um, you know, I, I think we should be advocating for specific solutions on how we should approach um, the situation. Um, so I know there's been a lot of talking, uh, a lot of talk about Queen's pooled investment fund and how to use that fund. If folks should use that fund, I personally am the believer that we should be using that fund to get us out of this situation, particularly because I want to get us away from the idea that Queen's University is a business because I don't believe we're a business. I think education always needs to come first. And the fact that any program is being cut, um, to me, um, it goes against the values of our institution. So again, supporting um, our undergraduate colleagues uh, in their conversations, but also ensuring that graduate students um, are protected in regards to any cuts that happen, um, because graduate students are already suffering in regards to affordability. Um, so um, I, I, would definitely, I would definitely place my focus there. Great, thank you very much for that, Sage, and thank you, Julia. Um, our last um, question is for our VP professional candidate, Maya Kuali. Um, what are some lessons learned and mistakes made during your first, first term that you think will help you in your next term? So you have two minutes to answer that, and go ahead. Thanks, Aileen. Um, I would say that some lessons learned would definitely be to clarify roles when I'm starting something new. I would say when planning the Bedlaw Games that the various committees and myself, we all thought that we were in charge of a lot of things when realistically the work was quite divvied up between all of us. And I would say that had we not just jumped right into it with all of our assumptions about what we thought our roles were and what we were each responsible for, it probably would have been easier down the line when finalizing orders and things like that and seeing who's actually responsible for each portion. So that would definitely be something that I would do next year is clarifying my roles, even though maybe I might not have to do that as much having gone through it one whole round already. But I would definitely say that it's opened my eyes as to the importance of making sure that you understand what you're doing before you're going into something versus kind of like learning along the way. So that's definitely a lesson I've learned. Another big lesson that I've learned is how to speak publicly. So I can thank the SGPS for that because it's definitely contributed to a lot of my public speaking skills. So thank you for that. Great, thank you so much for that, Maya. And now that concludes our part two. Um, okay, now we're moving on into part three, which is audience questions. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this can be directed at everyone, a specific position, or a specific candidate. 
Um, and as this is a debate, candidates are permitted and encouraged now to offer counterpoints. And thank you so much for your patience during that. So I will start from an audience question. And then I know that Zaid, you wanted to raise a point. So I'll start first with Zaid. Go ahead. Um, so this, this question has a bit of context. Um, so bear with me. Um, give, given that um, a lot of the work that SGPS and other student government groups do is behind closed doors. Um, it's meetings uh, with, with the principal, it's meetings with the provost, these sort of things um, where the general student body doesn't have that access. Um, and given the university's push for a lot of these sorts of meetings to have um, stipulations on what is and isn't confidential and what is and isn't allowed for the student body to have that, that information, Given all that, given the extremely low turnout at events like this, and and no shade, like um, we're we're all we're all working hard here. Um, but the other day, I was at a students versus cuts meeting where there were forty people there, um, and the the community housing meetings, there's tons of people there, um, and all at all of these events, and and at the tuition rallies last year. The students um, and, and the organizers are pushing for open, transparent, public communication with the administration. Um, so given all of that context, um, what is your stance on the confidential information, things being labeled confidential behind closed doors? Um, why should the student, the grad student body um, trust that you will represent their interests. And, um, and, and I had one other thing. Uh, and how do, you, how do you make SGPS a truly representational democratic body? Thanks so much. Thank you so much for that, Jake. Oh, and and that, was, that was actually directed towards Emil and also for the contested position of anybody and okay. anybody who wants to jump in. Great, thank you so much, Jake. Uh, let's start with Emil. Emil, you have two minutes, and then anyone else who would like to jump in, please raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you, Jake, for the question. I, I appreciate your engagement both today and in other council sessions. Um, so I, I think for a little bit broader context, th there are very real and legitimate reasons why we have to have confidentiality. Um, Queens is navigating huge budget cuts. This means that people will lose their jobs. And these decisions aren't made overnight, they're, they're deliberated. And if all of these were happening transparently in real time, it would be incredibly difficult for the people who are, would be learning in real time if their jobs are or are not under um, uh, risk of, of being uh, terminated. And, and that is no environment for anyone to work in. And that's one of the examples where it's necessary for, for example, in the Board of Trustees where they might navigate which areas have have to face steeper cuts than others. Until that decision is made, that has to be kept confidential because while there is still back and forth, um, it, it would be really damaging to the community um, to be in that situation. In terms of confidentiality with uh, speaking um, with different administration members, you're right, there is a, a level of, of trust that you place in the SGPS and the executives that they're having your best interest at heart. But I think for the for everyone here today, all of the candidates have extensive experience and um, their their actions and experience speak for themselves. We we are not here for any other reason than than to make our community better. We care about our graduate students and, and Queens at large. 
And the flip side of that is, even given how um, challenging this this budget deficit is, um, I still personally believe that that the administration does have the best interest of Queens at heart. Um, we we're spending more than we make whether or not we have as much of a crisis as it's made out to be is a different question but but there are very real challenges um so i'll start with that and let someone else continue so much for that so uh next we have simran um hi thanks for the question jake um first of all i would like to start by saying that even though i've been here for a few months, I've been very, very closely involved with the cuts movement that includes having access to a lot of information from uh, allied faculty members. And these cuts, in fact, have been planned for more than they have been honest with us about. Uh, there have been conversations around these cuts for the past two years. It would have been easier for the students had they known before instead of having a Band-Aid rip sort of a situation. Because I have such an objective view of Queens uh, in the sense of uh, I haven't worked with the administration administrators. I have only seen uh, the kind of policies that have been implemented and those have not that it hasn't been done in good good faith and it has not been done for the betterment of the students that I'm very sure of. Um, at the end of the day, I am a representative of grad students, so my allegiance lies with the students. And uh, unless anyone can get into legal troubles, um, I would always, always be open about each and everything that's been happening um, in, in whatever way is possible. Because like I said, um, things are not being done in good faith and things are not being done, really done for the betterment of the students. Thank you. Great, thank you so much for that, Simran. Uh, next, say we have two Awesome. Thank you very much for the question. Uh, I think it's really fantastic and really important to be talking about this. So firstly, I wanna talk about how we get um, any information out there to students, because firstly, I just wanna make it very clear that um, you know, anytime there's conversations with the administration, you know, in my experience as AMS president, whenever there was something that was confidential but needed to be shared with students, the first thing is you have to balance relationships with the administration while also leveling with them and telling them that you need to do what you need to do. And to be honest, they're very understanding. Um, there have been times where I've just told Patrick that, hey, I need to tell students about this, and they always appreciate a good heads up. Uh, and that's and I and I think you know they understand what our role is and we understand what their role is. We don't we don't agree necessarily all the time on how we approach things, but that is the first thing. Uh, I don't think necessarily getting the information out there publicly is the issue. I think it's more so student engagement with the channels that we have already and how students are getting that information. And the first thing, our, our, our social media presence, the SGPS social media presence, um, isn't the greatest. So something I would really want to try and bolster um, if I was elected. Uh, and I also, in the meantime, while we're trying to do that, because that takes longer than just one year, I would try to support and rally behind grassroots movements. So Queen's Students versus Cuts is a really big one right now, uh, and kind of rally behind them, kind of give them, give them information, supporting uh, undergraduate students, um, and also, um, as the SGPS would really want to leverage um, creating more continuous opportunities and times for um, open forums for the administration to come and speak. I know it's very disheartening to see um, the other day Provost Matthew Evans and uh, Dean Crow 
back out of the AMS assembly. However, I don't think, I think our role is to continue trying and to continue making those options available to students as much as possible. Um, so it's disheartening, but something that I want to continue doing. Great, thank you so much for that, Sue. Uh, Julia, go ahead. Thank you so much for your question. It was very well put and you did, did a great job with your background. Um, I think it is so important to know what needs to be shared and what needs to wait. It is so important for us to go into grad studies, go into the world with all of the information that we need to make informed decisions. So what is confidential behind closed doors may not be useful to share at this point because we don't have all of the information. So waiting and saying, hey, give us a second, let's think this over. Let's talk to the administration a little bit more. Let's try to convince them, hey, maybe let's not do this. And before we spread it to students and other organizations and make them worry. Because as a grad student, I have like 75 things to worry about on a daily basis. And having something else added to that would not be helpful if it's just being dealt with already. And not to say that Queens has been particularly open about the, the funding and the budget cuts that, that they've had and we've had in the past few years, but knowing when to share and when not to share is particularly important right now when it's a balance of when to worry and when to deal with the situation as it comes. Thank you. Okay, um, I'll come to Zay first since you private messaged me about your rebuttal. <laughs> Zay, go ahead. Awesome, thank you very much. Um, so I have a rebuttal for um, my um, my opponent, uh, the other candidate for VP graduate, um, on just based off of your last um, response. Um, so in regards to you know ensuring that you know ensuring that you should be careful of. Um, what you say publicly or or not. Typically, in my experience with administration, is when they're telling you something, that decision has been made um, on their end. Uh, a lot of the time, it's just a heads up. Um, so I don't necessarily think that is the right approach um, and the right mindset to enter with. Um, that idea of oh, I'm not sure if we should we should keep this behind closed doors because as student leaders, I don't think it's necessarily our responsibility to make that decision. Um, so I, I just wanted to just clarify um, that piece. Great. Thank you so much for that, Sage. Uh, next, Simran, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I just wanted to add another thing, Eileen. I just saw your text on the chat. I guess um, what is getting told and what's not getting told, I, I think at this point there has to be more empathy for the students rather than for the administrators. From what I'm hearing, like top level execs, um, AMS, SGPS, anywhere, not attacking anyone. It's, it's, there's a lot of let's understand where the administration is coming from, but people who are getting affected the most are not people who are getting paid 300,000 a year. They're, it's us, get people who are getting paid 25,000 a year. I uprooted my life uh, five months ago coming to Queens thinking it's going to be amazing. It is, 
but uh, these budget cuts are going to affect me immensely, especially being an international student on a study permit. They're canceling uh, teaching fellowships in my department. We just get got to know. I have to finish my PhD four years, just a hard four-year deadline. Otherwise, I'm just thrown into crocodile pool. Uh, I have to pay for for my own tuition otherwise. So I think at this point, just stepping back, getting involved in the student grassroots movement that's been amazingly going on since the past five months, getting to know student concerns more than trying to understand and sympathize with the administrator should be the utmost uh, uh, priority for SGPS for the coming year. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll go to Julia and then Jake has a follow-up. So more so to follow up with my last point, I more so meant that waiting to not to see if the administration would change their mind, but to voice our opinions more because pushing back and representing the students is like the number one priority as someone who would have one of these positions is to represent the students and make sure that their voices are being heard. And if the administration is saying, hey, no, this is our decision. We've done it. This is it. They're clearly not listening to the students and they need to hear more. And I just wanted to make it clear that it would be a pushing back and not a waiting just to see if they change their mind on whim. Great. Thank you so much for that, Julia. Um, Jake, would you like to ask your follow-up question? Yeah, uh, totally. Um, so, so a very, very quick context. Um, so uh, community housing residents didn't find out about the changes to policy until they were already at the table. Um, there was consultation, no consultation with any tenants whatsoever before the seven-point plan came out um, and was announced at, at an SGPS meeting. Um, the, the whole thing with students versus cuts right now is that all of this stuff was planned and then it just popped out. Um, I, I know that not necessarily everybody has access to that information. It caught a lot of people in SGPS and other positions off, off guard too. Um, I'm curious if, because a lot of people do have that experience already in positions, um, is there anything that you think SGPS or or you in another position um, wishes that you hadn't sat on and waited to tell students about? Um, and is there anything, if, if you haven't been in a position, um, that you wish that those representative bodies had let their constituents know about sooner? Okay, Emil? Thank you so much for that, Jake. Thank you, Jake. Uh, so I'll start by saying there, there's nothing that I've been told that I wish I would have been able to share sooner. Um, I think going back to Zaid's uh, point, uh, by the time we do hear things, it's it's reasonably set in the pipeline. It just hasn't been announced necessarily. So that's just allowing the university to control how they announce it. Um, that'll be one example. Um, what I have been focusing on is pushing for more information to be available to students. One of the ways that I accomplished this um, we used a Senate um, um, bylaw policy to allow us to trigger a special meeting, which is why we had a meeting in January. Um, we had enough support between the faculty and the student senators, and we coordinated to ask um, poignant uh, financial and uh, qualitative questions. Um, and what we did is essentially say, 
uh, to the administration, we feel this is something that is necessary and uh, important, urgent for us to have. Um, and uh, we have the support to, to use this mechanism. Would you be interested in scheduling a meeting and having a discussion with us? And uh, of course, uh, they, they agreed. And what this allowed is for some of the confidential board presentations to be moved into a public forum, which then allowed uh, for the, the Queen's community more broadly to have an understanding of how uh, the administration is making some of its decisions. So I think I think that is the most appropriate way that we can do things is making sure that we can pull more confidential information that is used for decision making into the public so that everyone else understands. Um, but no, I to answer your first question, there's nothing that I've been told that I wish I was able to share sooner. Thank you for that email. Uh, next slide. Go ahead. Thank you. I'll keep it really brief because um, I think Camille's actually touched on some of the things I want to mention as well. Um, in regards to, there isn't. I would also agree there isn't really anything I would have changed any of my experience in regards to things getting out um, earlier. Um, however, I do want to provide a bit of context and something that we can do and something I have done and want to do um, if I was elected um, is leveraging my re leveraging relationships with administrators. Um, so it's typical that it's not going to be Patrick or the provost or, you know, Ann Tierney that is giving you information directly. It'll typically be um, other high level executives that you've built relationships with that you meet more frequently with who will end up giving you information. Um, so again, I think it's about, you know, you have this jigsaw puzzle and you don't really know what's coming down the pipeline, but you can get a really good idea. A good example was during COVID-19, um, the AMS had to completely redo its event sanctioning process due to COVID-19, of course. Uh, and that's how um, all clubs on campus uh, proceed with getting insurance. And um, due to kind of putting two and two together, we managed to kind of beat the university to the punch before they announced um, all the massive changes. Uh, and um, they were basically ready um, two weeks after after the AMS had an uh, uh, sorry after um, the university had announced all of these additional criteria um, for running events on campus, and we'd already kind of changed our event sanctioning process and mentioned it to the AMS President's Caucus, um, which the SGPS at the time sat on as well. Um, so I think it's again it's about leveraging relationships uh, and kind of being um, open and transparent within your team about what you do have. Thank you so much for that, Sid. Uh, now we have um, Dina. So did you want to ask your question? Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Uh, notably, uh, to other members that are uh, in, present today, uh, I am not an SGPS member. I haven't been since 2015 when I finished my doctorate, but it's a pleasure to uh, enjoy the conversations uh, happening here this evening. Thank you so much and for the opportunity to pose a couple of questions as well. My first question is directed specifically to the VP grad and VP professional candidates. Each of you will represent particular constituencies within the within the SGPS membership, but how will you also advocate for and represent students in the other constituency? For example, how will the VP grad candidates also help serve professional students uh, and vice versa in areas related to university and faculty policy, uh, services around campus and with the SGPS, social activities, committee engagement, and more? Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Dana. Um, just in the interest of time, I'll give some uh, time for Maya to answer the question. Maya, go ahead. Hi, thanks, Dina, for your question. I was going to say that I think that a lot of our interests are very interlinked, even though we are different constituencies. And a big thing that I've taken away for this year is when you're advocating, you're not necessarily thinking as much about like, 
who exactly you're advocating for. You're just thinking about advocating for the student body as a whole. For me, I haven't really ever thought, oh, this is only about professional students. I've always had the interests and ideals of our membership as a whole in my mind when I'm saying anything. I would never want to do something for professional students that would disadvantage graduate students and vice versa. So I think it's really important kind of just to approach situations as a collective because we are one organization and it's not really separate like that, I in, in my opinion. So I would say just kind of keeping in mind that you're a representative for the organization and even though in our capacities, we do sit and think about our own roles and things that we're doing. We're also just really thinking about everybody. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much for that, Maya. Uh, next, I'll go on to Missy. Please go ahead. I'll be super brief because I know we're running low on time. <laughs> um, but um, I completely agree with what Maya was saying. And I think, you know, although, um, although all of the executive roles have their, you know, their, their responsibilities, it is one executive at the end of the day. And it is one group of students that, um, you know, is there to advocate and represent the entire constituency um, of the entire SGPS. So all, all student fee payers. So I, I think, you know, anytime there was anything um, down the pipeline that affected particularly professional students that kind of went on my radar. It's all about kind of chatting with the VP professional all the time. I think that relationship between the VP professional and the VP graduate needs to be super, super intertwined uh, because it is a team at the end of the day. And it's about sharing information and ensuring that uh, we're both successful and we both have um, all the pieces we need um, to advocate um, for, for the entire student body, uh, but also to help each other in our particular roles as well. Great, thank you very much. Uh, Julia, go ahead. At the end of the day, we are inextricably linked as grad students and professional students. We've had very similar experiences, usually done in undergrad and come here after, and we're all living in Kingston. We're facing the same problems with housing and uh, food insecurity and all of those things. And it's re I really do think it is important for the grad, the grad VP and the VP of professional students to work together and link together and remind not only us, but also the grad students and the professional students that we face the same problems. It is good to interact with your peers and hear those experiences, maybe from a little bit of a different perspective, but also know that like, yeah, we are facing the same thing. We are facing the same problems and we can go to each other for support in that. Thank you so much for that, Julia. Um... I think, Dinah, you actually have another question. I know we're almost out of time, but why not? Go ahead. If folks are willing to entertain, and that's okay, very kind. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Now, my second question is actually related to student engagement, and I'd like to direct it this time to uh, the president and community candidates and perhaps the finance candidate as well. And yes, everybody should be able to uh, answer this as well if they'd like to. Student engagement, as all of you are aware, is uh, down across campus, and, this, and the pandemic has certainly not helped matters uh, for both student governments over the last few years. And disengagement, unfortunately, leads to a real lack of knowledge about what student governments do for their members. How will you specifically work to keep students informed and engaged about SGPS services, SGPS initiatives, the advocacy work that you're doing, uh, the committee work that folks can get involved in, and also uh, elections and referenda? How will you mobilize students to uh, and, and inform them? Thank you so much for that, Diana. Uh, we'll start with Katie. 
Yeah, thank you so much for that question. I think it's really pertinent um, to, as you're saying, coming back from COVID and trying to really reestablish a good, strong student community. Um, one thing that I think I've noticed um, from being the deputy speaker and even just looking through our SGPS council meetings is I think a lot of it really does start with the departments. Um, I think really establishing good connections with the SGPS council and departments and their already existing bodies that they have in trying to support departmental student bodies is really important because I can even uh, state that from my own faculty or department of biomedical molecular sciences, most students do not understand what's going on at the SGPS because we don't have a presence of the DBMS in the SGPS. And so we have these missing links. And I think one way that's a really good way to start doing that because we are so spread out is, is focusing on departmental connections and really trying to reach those local students. And then we can actually start to build more harmonious communities together. Thank you so much, Katie. Uh, next, Simran, go ahead. Um, I actually disagree with the fact that student engagements are down. We had, right before the winter break hit, we had one of the first demonstration outside Matthew Evans's town hall, and around 70 to 80 students showed up. Uh, Jake mentioned there were about 40 students showed up at the student versus cuts meeting. Community engagement is high if you're, uh, people are pissed, students are really pissed, so they want to do something. And this is not just people who want to come out and protest. There are students who are getting very involved individually on social media, putting out awareness, uh, uh, putting out these facts, awareness campaigns about, about cuts in general. I think what we need, I, but I really think the top level executives are not involved too much. So I think that's the gap that needs to be bridged here. Um, I think SGPS did a great, great job last year. I, I know they were one of the first, SGPS was one of the first groups on campus who put out a statement to support student versus cuts. So I think just going on the same same route, building collaboration, uh, collaborating with these groups, building solidarity across departments, communicating, putting out social media posts so that everybody's aware of what's happening, what's going on, what are the organizations and student collectives on campus which are active. I don't think anything can be changed by just five people. So we really need to use this platform to reach out to the bigger groups that are working on campus currently. Thank you so much for that, Simran. Uh, next, Emil, go ahead. Thank you so much for the question. So that is a problem I've been trying to solve uh, since I started here at Queens and, and I definitely had to navigate that through the pandemic. And I can tell you what, what the answer definitely is not and it's more emails and uh, more blasts or more virtual events. Um, I personally believe that in my experience, the most successful opportunities for engagement have been in-person socials. This brings students together and we need to foster this and that allows for um, the opportunity for informal communication information, for getting students to talk about their common problems. And if we're getting students to come together and we are spread out all over campus, grad students are, are in all sorts of pockets throughout campus. It's not like the undergrads where you can walk down into a hall or a dining hall and they're all there in one spot. Um, so we need to foster um, a, a greater sense of community. And I think that will spur some of the, the greater opportunities for change. Thank you for that, Emil. Um, I think, Zay, do you have um, another thing to add? Really quick, just because I just thought of it. I'm so sorry, I'll be super fast. Uh, but the new data, um, that's going to be huge boost for student engagement. Um, I've, again, I always like to plug the JDAC. Uh, but I think with the SGPS kind of back in action in person and that student hub uh, revitalized, uh, I think that will do something for student engagement. I'm excited to see what happens when that project hits the ground or opens. Thank you so much for that, Emil. Uh, next, Sarah, go ahead. 
Great. Perfect. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, thank you so much for our candidates for coming out. Thank you for Dinah for coming out as well from CFRC. Um, and thank you to all of our attendees. Thank you so much for your time. And just a reminder that voting days will be held on February 6th and 7th. Ballots will be sent to all SGPS members via Simply Voting. Please check your inbox and your spam folder, especially if you have not received our email. And if you've not received the ballot at all, please email elections at sgps.ca with any questions, comments, and suggestions. We thank you very much, everyone, for your time, and bid you all a good night. And thank you to the SGPS elections team for furnishing the recording of the Society of Graduate and Professional Students All-Candidates Debate, also available on video via sgps.ca and SGPS social media. You can learn more about the candidates on the SGPS website and also our Campus Beat podcast on Spotify and Apple Music, featuring interviews with all candidates that aired on January 31st on CFRC before the debate. Coming up next, we have a chat with Allison May of the Queen's AMS No Vote 2024 campaign against Team JNN, who we interviewed earlier this week, and content from which is also available on the Campus Beat podcast. Since the time of recording our interviews with the No Vote 2024 campaign and Team JNN, CFRC has learned that Nico Brassett of Team JNN has withdrawn from the AMS executive slate. While we await word from the AMS elections team on next steps related to the executive election, as there is now no qualified slate of candidates to run for executive office, we were able to catch up with Nico Brassett, formerly of Team JNN, for an exclusive interview responding to questions about the no campaign and his withdrawal from the AMS executive slate. But first, here's our discussion with Allison May. Thank you for joining us, Allison. We are going to be chatting about your uh, No Vote Campaign 2024 uh, that you're running with a few other individuals, I believe, on campus. Can you tell us about yourself and your experience as a student leader or advocate? Yeah, so um, I myself, I do not have too much experience in being a student leader uh, but I do have a lot of experience being an advocate. I've been a part of a lot of groups that are very much dedicated to representing um, equity deserving groups on campus. And that is sort of the main reason why me and um, my team uh, wanted to make this no vote campaign as we are very dedicated. Um, we're a very dedicated group. We're very passionate. Um, we all come from a different um, fields and different skill sets. But we all have in common of wanting to represent equity deserving groups, especially in the face of potential misrepresentation and um, maybe unfit leaders that are running in the election this year. Okay. And now can you tell us about your team's platform? Why are you running this campaign? And what is this campaign? Tell us more. Yes. So we're running this campaign as we believe that the current uncontested team uh, running for the AMS executive committee, so nobody else is running against them, um, are not the correct people for this position, especially when they're representing such a diverse student population. And we are um, coming up to a very important year in the face of large budget cuts and student divides. Um, so that's kind of the main reason. Uh, our platform has three main pillars that contribute to our overall goal. Um, our first pillar deals with the lack of preparedness that we feel that JNN does not have due to their lack of policy uh, plans on their social media, um, especially as we're going into the third day of the election or campaign period. 
Um, and there is very little mention of rent increases, um, austerity measures that are facing students and large budget cuts that we think are um, most pressing and they have not addressed in their um, policies so far. Uh, our second pillar deals with the undemocratic fashion of um, the election. Because they are uncontested, we're worried that their ability to fit the plurality of needs that the student that Queen students require, we believe that they might not be able to fulfill that. Um, and our last pillar outlines our concerns for the risk risks this election uh, has to um, equity deserving groups on campus. Uh, there have been multiple documented cases of one of the group members uh, association with certain controversial or problematic societies. And because of that, we believe that some marginal marginalized students on campus might be uncomfortable and anxious with um, that type of person representing such a very prestigious position that is has a lot of power and sway at both Queens and abroad. Thank you for sharing. And now tell student listeners how they can learn more about your campaign. Yeah. So we currently have our Instagram up and running. It's no vote campaign 2024. And we're also going to be boofing at the arc all this week until um, Saturday. Uh, you can also find the times that we're going to be boothing on the, our Instagram, and uh, that gives you a chance to sort of speak to us one-on-one -on -one, um, and get to learn more about our campaign and uh, our goals for the election. And now can you remind student listeners, one, how they can vote and why they should vote? Yes. So students can vote using their phone or laptop through their Queen's email starting February 6th and 7th. Um, I believe they should vote. Voting turnout was 17% last year. That is not very good, especially for such an important election for the AMS Executive Committee. I myself did not know a lot about it before, and I don't even think I voted last year. And I do think it was because of the lack of knowledge that students had or lack of awareness that was made aware to students last year and even this year. So I think it's really important that they should vote and look up what the AMS Executive Committee does or even um, talk to us at our booth and we can definitely let some students know more about that. All right. Well, thank you very much, Allison, for joining us and giving us so much of your time today. Yes. Thank you so much. Have a good day. <laughs> And thank you to Allison May of the Queen's AMS No Vote 2024 campaign for speaking with us. We now go over to our exclusive interview with Nico Brassett, who responded to questions addressed by the No campaign team and also to questions related to his January 31st withdrawal from the Team JNN AMS executive slate. So, Nico, for first things first, I wonder if you'd like to take time to address some of the issues raised by the No Vote campaign team uh, in this year's election cycle. Uh um, thank you for the question. I think one of the most important things that the Novo campaign did mention is this, is this, it's an uncontested, undemocratic election in a way. And, you know, it's funny because I think um, when JNN first started, when me, uh, Jason and Noah first started, we were actually really hoping that there would be another team and that it would be a contested election. And I think it's only fair when things are so difficult right now in AMS and things are so difficult in Queens in general, that the students really have more options to decide who they really want to represent them in the in the larger scale. And so that's a one point that I do really agree with when it comes to the Novo campaign. Um, the other thing they mentioned is the lack of, per, per, if I believe correctly, they said, the lack of preparedness or professionalism, one way or the other. Um, what I can say about that is I think a lot of that has to do with the last minute formation of JNN. And I think a lot of us at 
and you know a lot of lot a lot to do with that it was just simply major disagreements that we had and um and and I would also agree that they had a very fair point when it comes to that as well. In regards to um, Noah's affiliations to certain groups, you know, it's at the end of the day, I'm not going to comment towards his affiliations because it's not my place. But uh, but you know, there's clearly a, a large enough portion of students that are concerned about his affiliations, and um, I think it's only fair that they bring those up. Because obviously, again, being a representative of all students, um, it's only fair enough that that students address these sort of concerns. So that's pretty much I would. That's pretty much all I can say about the Novo campaign. I don't know if there's anything else that they've mentioned, but to my knowledge, that is practically the big reasons that they mentioned um, that why they wanted to vote no for the JNN campaign. Uh, my last comments are simply is I understand their concerns and it's completely reasonable and there, there's complete understanding on my side is what I'm trying to say with the Novo campaign. Thank you, Nico, very much. Now, we also understand from the Queen's Journal's uh, article that was just posted uh, around midnight on January 31st that you have officially withdrawn from Team JNN. I wonder if you can uh, tell us uh, a little bit about the rationale. Of course. Look, I think it's important for a team, again, in, in such a difficult time with such polarization among our campus, I think it's important that a team has uh, united morals and beliefs and opinions uh, that, and on top of that, to have a very good chemistry and understanding with one another. To be to be honest, I only really met Jason and Noah two weeks ago, and you know there was not uh, at the time. I believe that we we were all excited to work together and try to make this campaign work between each other. But I think as time went on, there was a clear divide of differences, a clear divide in opinions. There's a clear divide in how our work ethics, how we do things. Um, it was just we were at the end of the day we were very different people and you know of course it's important to have disagreements as a team of course it's important to have different opinions as a team but there was just i feel like there was just too many differences between ourselves that we just weren't effective as a team and uh i felt that uh, the right and matured thing to do was to recognize that those signs early on and to recognize that if, you know, if I wasn't happy with the team now, I certainly wouldn't be happy in a month and I certainly would not be happy within the year. So my rationale for it was simply due to a massive amount of differences of opinion that I would prefer to say, you know, prefer not to comment on what, side of, what type of differences, but for the massive amount of differences that we have among ourselves in many different ways, and due to the lack of chemistry and understanding between um, between the team, I just thought it was the appropriate thing to do for for the for the sake of the AMS, really. Because if the AMS has a team that doesn't understand each other, that doesn't work well together at this specific time, I don't think we can do uh, what we want to do, which is at the end of the day, uh, represent students and um you know, do do the best that we can to 
address many concerns that students have around campus. Thank you very much, Nico. And now, uh, do you know what's happening with Team JNN now? Are they still able to run for uh, run for their office, or do they have to find new people? I don't. For some of our listeners out there, maybe some folks don't understand the process. Do you? I do understand a little bit to a degree. So as as it stands, there has the the election will not run. Uh, to my knowledge, because we were all three of us were ratified, and so we would have to run as a team, or there's no team. So as of right now, since it was uncontested, there is no team currently in AMS. So the AMS, I think, in perhaps the next few hours or in the next few days, will announce that there will be a special assembly where all students are welcome to come, and there will be teams that will have to be presented to uh, run for the election. Now. In regards of Jason and Noah, obviously I cannot comment um, specifically on what they plan to do, but to my knowledge, at least what they say in the article is that they do still intend to run. So I presume they're looking for a third a third team member as of right now. And should they run, I mean, we'll have to see what their campaign brings. And um, And yeah. All right. So I, I wonder if uh, I just had a thought. We uh, covered SGPS elections uh, on Wednesday on CFRC radio, as well as uh, we'll be broadcasting the SGPS uh, candidate, all candidates debate. The interesting thing uh, and, a di and a difference that some of our community listeners who are not necessarily Queen students might not understand is the SGPS Folks that are running for executive positions can run as individuals, but the AMS has to run as a slate that, because this is not the first time that there has been a withdrawal in recent years. Somebody else withdrew and then a similar situation happened for the AMS when a, when a team uh, member withdrew and then the rest of the team was unable to uh, continue with their campaign. I wonder what your thoughts are on whether the AMS should actually continue running slates of people or if people can uh, come to the t executive team but run as individuals, as the SGPS does. What are your thoughts? I think uh, there's definitely a lot of things that the AMS need to reconsider and reform, and that I would agree. I think it's difficult. I mean, there's many, there has been many examples over the past, over the past few years of uh, teams not being able to work well with each other due to uh, various amounts of various different reasons. I mean, there was uh, most notably and most recently there was a scandal last year. I'm sure you would be aware of uh, Team Era and the blackface scandal that happened. And yeah, the entire team had to drop out because of that. And so I think uh, when you look at also faculty societies, for example, uh, the engineering society and the arts and science undergrad society, they do run individual platforms, if I remember correctly. And I think it's the right way to go because, you know, at the end of the day, I am pretty passionate about a lot of the issues on campus. And there's a lot of things that I would have liked to deal with. And what I, a lot of things I would have included on my individual platform. Noticeably, I would have added uh, accessibility, physical accessibility issues on campus or make sure student uh, defunding or, for example, the uh, lack of support for online students. So these are just big subjects and big topics that, you know, I would have loved to 
to campaign on. But uh, you know, again, as work, if you're working as a slate, it's it's difficult because everyone has different motivations and different reasonings and different passions and different uh, reasons why they want to run, right? So I I would agree with you. I think AMS does have to really um, take a self-reflection and really uh, look into what is it, uh, what what can work better and what can be more efficient and what, what, at the end of the day, what is more fair for students, right? Because it's a, it's a governing body that is supposed to represent all students and um, and at the end of the day, it is student tuition that uh, that they uh, that they make their income off, right? So it's uh, it's important. It is very important. Okay, thank you for those insights. And now, Nico, what are the plans for the, your road ahead? Uh, will you still stay active in student politics? Are there other initiatives and groups that you're uh, thinking of putting your talents into? What's coming up for Nico? Well, for me, honestly, I have my internship right now. So I'm pretty much secured for the next eight months just doing my internship with the Faculty of Engineering. And I'm going to continue doing that. Um, in regards of student politics, I'm going to be watching, obviously, this the upcoming events of the AMS very closely. It still obviously matters to me. And, uh, you know, something I did mention on in the newsletter, in the journal, was a lot of these issues I am passionate for, and I think I'll continue to advocate for it's a lot of issues on campus that I am personally passionate about. So uh, to answer your question, besides just continuing to work on my internship, I'm not too sure, but uh, if there is one thing for certain is that a lot of the issues that I am passionate for, I will continue to advocate, advocate for, and for whoever becomes AMS, if it's um, Jason and Noah or anybody else, these issues will be addressed. And I will make sure that these issues are talked about and I will make sure that these issues are are being addressed at the end of the day because these issues are important. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, Nico. We do appreciate your time and best wishes on your future endeavors. Thank you so much. Thank you to Nico Brassett for sitting down with us for this exclusive interview. We did invite Nico's former teammates, Jason Kim and Noah Mauji, to join us for an interview as well to discuss issues related to the No campaign and Nico's January 31st withdrawal from their slate. They responded rapidly, noting that in light of events developing so quickly that discussions remain incredibly dynamic and they need some time to provide concrete answers to their community while also deliberating optimal solutions that are in the best interests of Queen students. They also added that while they cannot speak to Nico's reasons for departure, they wish him the absolute best on his future endeavors and that they will reach back to CFRC when they also have more information to provide about next steps for their campaign. In the meantime, CFRC also awaits word on next steps in the elections process, which we anticipate at any moment from the alma mater society. And now coming up in our next segment, we welcome candidates for Queen's University Rector. AMS and SGPS members alike can vote for the new rector on February 6th and 7th. Our first conversation is with rector candidate Leo Young. Let's jump right in. Thank you for joining us, Leo. It's a real pleasure to have you with us at CFRC. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yep. So tell us about yourself and your experience as a student leader. Sure. So my name is Leo Yan. So I'm currently in my third year PPE, so politics, philosophy, economics. So currently I'm sitting on the university senate. 
as the student vice chair. And previously, I also worked for the, the principal, Patrick Dean, and I also worked, worked for AMS as first year intern. Well, not first year intern, intern. So other than that, so as a student leader, I, I would say my role kind of divided into kind of streaming part. So first is kind of like elected position. So I, as a senator, I have been constantly advocating for students' um, concern where bring bring those things up to the university, on the Senate to the, for example, I constantly question the top senior administration, like the principal, the provost, and then especially recently, it's like mainly about the deficit. So I've been playing like a key role on just making students' voice get, get hurt. And then something I, this is something I kind of focus more on is I, instead of focusing more on like having consultation with other student leader, I prefer to be what I call the person of the people. So I kind of more focus on like the talking with non-student government people, especially in the past year, and then try to learn their concern, which is always just being ignored doing like those like the top senior conversation. And then another type of leadership, I would say, it's mainly in the club. So I have been kind of co-chair where uh, VPing a couple clubs. So those are kind of management staff, which is actually not, um, um, it's actually not directly relevant to the rector because rector is more a one person office. So you kind of do all the stuff by yourself, kind of similar to my role on the Senate. And then the last part is more about just like being a leader in the way kind of like, I would say more in the creative way. So I kind of always, lead on different projects. So in the past few years, I've also did a couple of like, personal projects. For example, even right now, I'm trying to develop a, a video game, trying to integrate AI into like the, you know, basically the, the, the NPC can kind of, they can, when you ask them question, instead of having something already written, the NPC will kind of give you a different response based on your answer. And then in, also in the past, uh, once in first year, I also did a digital art exhibition partner with uh, ROM. So uh, Rio Ontario Museum, and then also like the AGO, our, our, gallery, our gallery of Ontario. So something, what I would call is also a big part for the rector, it's like passion project. So something beyond your portfolio. And then I'm, something yeah, you, I, I'm also passionate about. Right? So also an, another thing I want to mention is basically the passion project is like, my passion project is also kind of helping other people to do, to, to do their passion project and supporting the students' needs. And then especially when it comes to financial needs, Thank you so much, Leo. And now tell us about your platform. Why are you running for office and what will you do as the new rector? Sure. So I can start with why I want to run for rector. So personally, I went to, I would say, different stages of like uh, internal debate last semester. So I was, before I was thinking, so I'm, I'm uh, in my third year, so I'm going into my fourth year. And then in terms of like, Sometimes people are doing position for resume building, but for me, it's like I was more thinking about how, what kind of changes I can make in this position in a way it's, uh, for example, when I, especially when it comes to the financial deficit, the university reputation, all that kind of stuff, I feel it's the time to kind of maybe, with all my experience, not just in the student government, but also at university administration. I also, I worked for the faculty before and then different clubs, I feel my, experience can help the university and then the student to unite the students and then the university and then try to build more bridges and more collaboration to find the common solution uh, together. And then in terms of the my platform, I try to use kind of do an unconventional way this year. So instead of having pillar, I want to focus more on taking real like the 
real action. So first, um, this is those things is already something I have done before. For example, I, I will keep fighting or advocating for students on the financial deficit, making sure the, the whole process is transparent. And then also making sure I don't feel like social media is the most effective way, but right now it's kind of the, the, on, the only way. So another way, if I get elected to be rector, I will try to use the mass email or different different platform to to inform the student on what's going on on the board and on different um, um, university decision-making body. And then another thing I want to do is that Queens is a very, I would say, decentralized place since we were pretty, we're not, we're not big, but like we, we have like many things going on here. So what I want to do is I want to have a, a website, a one-stop website that centralizes all the resources, all those like the, 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 the same student needs on like one place where students can like the, go to a single website and then find the, all the resources they need and then direct them to the, to, uh, to the right website page. And then lastly is I want to promoting and then streamlining more like application um, for existing financial opportunity. By that way, it means like Queens actually already have many financial, let's say fund or different financial opportunity that students can apply. But oftentimes students just didn't really know there's opportunity like that exists. For example, like, uh, the principal had the student initiative fund, which each year it has like over some million dollars inside the fund, but no one know such thing exists. So what I want to do is I like, work with AMS and university to try to promote those opportunity. Okay, thank you so much. And now tell listeners how they can learn more about you and your campaign, Leo. Yeah, so I uh, so currently I have a, a Instagram page called Leo uh, Number Four Rector, and then also tomorrow I'm gonna launch my website, so which will also be Leo Four Rector. And then for the website, instead of just explaining who am I or that kind of stuff, I will also do a educational campaign on like the basically what's going on for the financial deficit and who's responsible on each stage. Since I've been like pretty much involved from like a more insider perspective. So, and okay. then another way to learn about me, maybe just even just go to some Queen Journal uh, article I wrote before. For example, I, I have been constantly advocating for like the undergraduate research and graduate research opportunity. And then even some other way, maybe, mm, well, I was a mini website and then I will also keep eye on, eye on my posts. I will keep update on like what, what I have done before and then what I'm gonna keep doing, so yeah. Thank you so much. And now, can you tell student listeners how they can vote and why they should do so? Sure. So if you want to vote, it will be uh, sent it to your email on February 6th and 7th. So it will be on the Queen's email. And then you can just, um, yeah, clicking, logging. It will only take two minutes. So, yeah. And then lastly, maybe just uh, uh, Leo, Leo for Rector, Ian will fight for you 2024. Yep. Thank you very much, folks. We have been chatting with Leo Young, running for the rector position at Queen's University. Good luck with your campaign. Best wishes. Thank you. Bye. Thank you to rector candidate Leo Young for joining us in uh, this interview. And coming up now, we have a spot with Nikki Boychuk-Hale, also running for Queen's University rector. All right. Welcome, Nikki. Thanks for joining us here on CFRC. So tell us about yourself and your experience as a student leader. Yeah. So last spring, I proudly graduated with a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Um, and I'm now in my fifth year. I'm a graduate student pursuing a Bachelor of Education in the Indigenous Teacher Education Program. 
I've really, really loved my my educational journey here at Queen's. Um, and I've also found my time outside of the classroom to be um, just as meaningful, if not more. Uh, my first campus job was at Studio Q, where I, I fell in love with media. Um, and then flash forward, um, last year I served as the AMS Director of Marketing, where I was most known for creating and, and hosting a video series, AMS Asks You. But I also worked on a lot of other projects that people don't know about. Um, I, I managed a budget in, in excess of $80,000. I oversaw 10 staff and I, I collaborated with every department across the AMS. I also built our first AMS brand and communications guide. Uh, last May through December, I worked for the university relations department um, at Queens. One thing I did there was, was build the first ever communications preference survey for students that's, that's going to be launching soon. Um, and now I work for the human rights and equity office at Queens. Um, I've been able to combine my passions for policy and communications, and I'm supporting the sexual violence prevention response department and updating copy and brand collateral to align with the newly passed uh, policy on sexual violence involving students at Queens. So I, I get I get a lot of energy from you know interacting with people in, in the community and this journey to this rector campaign has really led me to a, a whole new level of engagement with students and staff and I, I hope that I can continue it if I if I were to be elected. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, Nikki, tell us about your platform for Rector. Why are you running for rectorship and what will you do while you're in office? Yeah, my decision to run for rector is really an accumulation of the five years that I have spent listening to, learning from, working for our, our community. And um, I, I will use the position to connect, to advocate, to inform um, and my platform is centered around communication, well-being, and collaboration. These pillars, these three pillars, translate to three main goals, which are to enhance the feedback loop between the rector and students, um, to improve the holistic safety of students, and to amplify student advocacy goals. Um, there are several ways, actual ways, that I plan on doing this. Um, some of them involve um, establishing a paid student uh, position to support my um, experiential marketing plans um, to press the university for an improved communications and transparency to better align with students' needs and um, to join in on the efforts underway to improve government funding for research and healthcare and infrastructure in our community. So that's just a brief summary and, and there's lots of more information on my platform document. Wonderful. And now can you tell student listeners, both AMS and SGPS members, who also all of them vote for the rector, tell the student listeners how they can learn more about you and your campaign? Yeah, so students can visit my website. It's NikkiForRector.ca. So that's N-I-K-I, the number four, um, rector.ca. Um, they can find links to my social media. I'm on Instagram and uh, TikTok, my platform document there and is there and um, direct links to actually vote is also there. Um, and then if anyone has any questions, like don't be a stranger, you can reach out to me on, on Instagram or my campaign email is also up there and I would be happy to chat. Wonderful. And now finally, can you tell students how they can vote for the rector position and why they should vote? 
Yeah, so students can vote. Again, any undergrad or graduate student is eligible to vote using their net ID. Um, so they'll get an email from the secure voting system on February 6th um, when voting opens, um, and they can go directly um, to the ballot there, but just by signing in. If it if they don't see an email, it might have gone to their junk, or they can just type in uh, queensams.simplyvoting.com and and do it manually that way. Um, and they can vote number one for me as a candidate um, before the ballot closes the following day on February seventh at eight o'clock p.m. Uh, it's always important to vote um, to you know voice. Um, have voice and choice in this election is really important, and it is a contested election this year, which is incredibly um, exciting, you know, a, a testament to our uh, student engagement. And so um, I encourage students to do to do their research and to make sure that they they get out to vote and remind their friends to vote, too. Thank you so much. And we appreciate your time, Nikki. Best wishes on your campaign. Thank you. And thank you to Nikki Boychuk-Hale for joining us to talk about her Queen's Rector campaign. And that's a wrap for this special extended edition of Campus Beat. Thank you for tuning in to CFRC Radio and CFRC.ca and our Campus Beat podcast for our special coverage of AMS and SGPS elections and referenda this year. Students should check their emails about balloting information from the SGPS and the AMS and get ready to vote on February 6th and 7th, 2024. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, situated on the traditional territories of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of Smith Engineering. Music